We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Veterans Minimum. Today's episode is brought to you by Patreon. Patreon.com slash Veterans Minimum. Check out some of the new content that we have up there. Degeneration bets, game lines, Thursday night football slates, and a lot of fun stuff. Access to the Discord access to a lot of fun features over there before we get into this episode let's give a shout out to some of you patrons you patrons in the 20 dollar tier bo clore definitely butchered that but shout out to you christopher velasquez ryan pisner my guy ryan shout out to piz uh part of twitch gang also nick chavez chuck page definitely a porn star and my guy zach smith i appreciate you guys for your donations every single month and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Alan joins us once again. We talk a little bit Pats and AB saga, whether or not Deshaun Watson is going to follow the career path of one Andrew Luck. Also, we touch on three games of the week, the New Orleans Saints going into LA, revenge game, revenge narrative, all that fun stuff, Vikings, Packers, and Steelers, Seahawks. And at the end, I get Alex Perez, who does some of the cool graphics that you guys see on the social media accounts, he hops on and we talk a little bit about the state of U.S. soccer going into the 2020 season and international play qualifying for the Olympics and whatnot. And also we give a little bit of a Champions League preview. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Rate, review on iTunes, all that fun shit. And we'll catch you guys next time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Veterans Minimum. 
your boy Lamb here in the host position. Joining me as always on Thursdays, my guy Allen, A double L E N, Bay Bay. What up, kid? What's up? What's up? How you feeling about them Falcons? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> ran all over the field. Matt Ryan, second straight year, looking very lost. Just unbelievable. But another week one, we know there's some flukes for sake of Atlanta and Dan Quinn's future. We hope it's a fluke, but. You know, it's funny. I was uh, I was researching some stuff, just like little tidbits. You know that four of the division winners last year lost week one and half the playoff teams last year lost in week one. So, wow. you know, the Saints famously that shootout against Tampa Bay. Remind, remember Fitzpatrick when fucking ape shit. <laughs> yeah. So, like, let's all pump the brakes, you know, and I talked about it. And, and, and let me get your thoughts on this because we have a lot to get to. There's also some soccer stuff at the tail end of the episode joined by uh my buddy Alex, who's been helping out, if you guys have seen some of the graphics, he's the one that puts those together. And, you know, uh, U.S. men's soccer has just played a couple of friendlies, and they've looked awful. But we'll get to that at the end. So, um, Alan, I got to ask you this, because obviously I picked the Eagles to have the best record in the NFC. I picked the Eagles for the Super Bowl. I'm a diehard Giants fan. Most of my friends, the majority of my friends are either Jets or Cowboys fans. So they were ripping me in the first half. And I talked about this on the Monday episode. If you guys haven't checked that out, check that out. Got some fan questions on there. How do you feel about NFL Twitter and the overreactions play to play? Because it gets excessive sometimes. I think you just become numb to it, especially in my position working for SB Nations in 2015. You just you just have to accept it. You, you try to take what it's worth because it's Twitter. So you dictate who you follow. Of course, you can't avoid retweets. That's the frustrating part of it. But... If you're following the right people, you usually get the right amount of content. And if you have to mute or block, you just do it. So it's not too much concern, but especially someone that's covering a team that hasn't necessarily won a lot these past, uh, I guess, what last season now, week one, it could get very toxic, but you become numb to it. I just think the overreactions is, is crazy, man. And, you know, I think uh, that's just the nature of the beast now. So I try my best to stay off social media on Sundays, mm-hmm. but I notice that the engagement is so high because everyone's on their oh, phone. Yeah. Where you kind of have to. And like you said, this line of work that we're in, you kind of have to be on there. But, you know, it's like what I've noticed is you say something bad about someone's team and they automatically shit on your team. And it's like, dude, I'm not even talking about my team. Like, I know my team is bad. Right. Or if you're talking about like a, a quarterback and they have to bring up their favorite team's quarterback, it's like, oh, I'm, like if you highly praise your quarterback, but then um, you're kind of like knocking a couple other ones. Like if he's top 10 or not, they're going to mention their quarterback. That's the example. Like Kirk Cousins, a lot of people are sensitive about and you just see, oh, Kirk's not top 10. He's like, no, Kirk Cousins not 10. When's the last time Kirk Cousins won a big game? But then I'll start naming like the last three years his statistics. Oh, he's top 10 here or there. It's like, but he's pads his stats. We know about Kirk Cousins. Listen, man, you throw 10 passes in I know. a football game in 2019. <laughs> I don't know about that. Mike Zimmer football, baby. Yeah, we have a lot to get to. Let's get into this Antonio Brown stuff, right? And, you know, obviously this stuff is not to be messed around with uh, domestic abuse um, not you know just any any situation like that he's being accused of rape by his former trainer I want to ask you from a football standpoint what do you think New England does with him do you think they just kind of just brush it under the, the rug or as long as that investigation goes on they'll probably play just because I think Belichick's he's no nonsense and I think he just says let the legal process let it handle because AB is such a huge ass and I think especially when we look at week one, even though it doesn't seem like it, they need A-B in a Pittsburgh game, which they clearly didn't. It's just, I think we know how much of an asset he is. And 
who knows? At this point, I just think, especially given his history, you know, with Hernandez and I think Albert Hainsworth when he was on New England, he had some sort of domestic issue. Patrick Chong got busted for cocaine. Right. <laughs> so I think <laughs> Belichick would just let the legal process lay hands off because I I don't think he's too worried about an image. I think the Patriots are the last team because look, everyone models, wants to model themselves after the Patriots. They're competing in January every year. They've kind of had some sketchy shit go on with them. Well, right. You mentioned Hernandez. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, you know, they had a murder on their team. Yeah. Um, the Hainsworth stuff, the the deflated footballs, which I thought was corny anyway, because the Colts got smoked in the second half when the Colts didn't have those deflated footballs against exactly. them. Right. Uh, what was the other thing? The, uh, the spy gate incident, mm-hmm. you know what? And historically, like everyone was like, Oh yeah, I called it. He's going to the, the, the Patriots. It's like, yeah, this is what new England does. Mm-hmm. They get these guys that are perceived to have a bad image and they get them on a discount. Well, they won him in March with Pittsburgh. They did, they, yeah. They Pittsburgh, there's no way Pittsburgh was going to trade him to New England. First, they could have used that first rounder, though, looking back on it. Yeah, they definitely could have. But yeah. still, you don't want to – you've been building yeah. all these years to beat the Patriots. You're not going to give them your best player, the best wide receiver of the last decade, arguably. You know, So I think from a fit standpoint, Josh Gordon looked tremendous on Sunday night. We know about Edelman. They have a run game now. Their offensive line – Seems like uh, Skarnecchia is the most underrated coach in football. I think he's most beloved position coach now. Yeah, but easily like that guy, man. You know, he got Trent Brown paid. He got Nate Solder paid. He gets all these guys paid. And of course, my idiot team ended up making him the highest left tackle. But anyway. Houston really wanted him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you for making me feel better. But you know, even the the center for the Pats. Didn't play last week. The, the actual center because of a heart condition. No, was it um a blood clot or something? Big blood clot. I remember yeah. about that. And that dude steps in and no drop off. Granted, their system is different because they get the ball out quickly anyway. Right. Isaiah Wynn looked really good too. First round there towards ACL last year. Achilles. Oh, Achilles. Yeah, yeah. And he looked like a stud. He's from Georgia, so I know a little bit about him. And yeah, highly regarded. And no surprise to let Trent Brown go. Yeah, and think about it. Like, dude, they. It seems like if I was New England, not, I was Belichick, I would never spend a draft pick on a wide receiver because that's the one position that he can't figure out in the draft. Right. If you look historically, it's like, you know, it's just not a position that he does well with. And I think the way they do it is they find guys. Granted, Julian Edelman was a tremendous find and whatnot, but that guy also busted his ass. He was a cornerback. Right quarterback corner i remember there was a clip where he sacks like donovan McNabb in like 2010 <laughs> 2011 it was it was outrageous but you know they find like the west walkers of the world they you know they take a chance on like josh gordon now they get antonio brown and dude not for nothing you look at their schedule their first tough game was supposed to be week eight against the browns that's still up in the air how good the browns are gonna be and then they got baltimore before the bye it's like they play the Jets twice before yeah. that game. How is that possible? Well, and now, you know, producer Mike in the background, he's a Jets fan and he's miserable because Trevor Simeon. <laughs> Trevor Simeon is intact right now. Get ready for those interceptions, Trevor. As fearless as it gets, all for the wrong reasons. Well, yo, Sam <laughs> Sam Darnold. Of course, I bet them to win uh, win a wild card berth at, at plus 550. Shout out to is, – is that your boy, Daniel Lodato? Yeah, that's uh, that's producer Mike's friend, and shout out to Daniel, man. He uh he had sent me a ticket, and he was like, "Yo, this is an interesting bet to make," and you know, I jumped on board. And then, what did he do? Did he go to the Hofstra Strip and make out with some girls over there? That's it's- one way you could do it, especially <laughs> the connections with Jefferson Hofstra. I don't know if Wayne Corbett gave him the connect, but oh man, pray but pray for the Jeff fans. I, I think the Patriots though just. 
every year you wonder when they're going to decline. Maybe their roster talent isn't quite there. And now they just look like the favorites. Like, I don't know who could compete with them because you, everyone wants to talk about the Chiefs, but you watch the Chiefs secondary. They look bad against the Jaguars team that doesn't have much of identity offensively. And there's just not much firepower right now in the AFC. And just look at what the Patriots are building. You know, James White still looks as good as ever. Stoney Michelle is going to carry the workload. As that offense looks like they're going to average 30 more points a game. And everyone's wondering about Brady's arm strength. You still have to throw to Philip Dorsett. It's still there. And, dude, just you don't even need the arm strength with that. You just no. everything underneath, you yeah. know? Look at the drag to Josh Gore. And Josh Gore makes three defenders miss. Grant Pittsburgh's defense, a complete wreck. And I don't know what to make of Pittsburgh at this point, but they did not look prepared. Yeah, there's just something about the way they set up their defense. You know, you, you know you're going to play Pittsburgh year in, year out. You know that you have to go. Sorry, you, you're going to play New England. Keith Butler, that stuff just looks... Dude, I would have fired him and, you know, well, you can't say fired anymore because people get sensitive. You know that the uh, a sports book in Las Vegas, it's no longer first coach fired. It's first coach to leave his post. Wow. PC yeah. World is, is entering the NFL right. now, too. No, I would have fought. Well, he should have been. He should have lost his job when. Who was that? I think Vince Williams was covering Keenan Allen. That's I was going to bring that up. Yeah, that's something that's I've the most with. absurd thing. It's like, it's Keenan Allen. It's like a top 10 receiver, arguably the best route runner in the league. And what are we doing? And, and <laughs> Philip Rivers was like, okay, just pitch and catch. Yeah. Third and seven, Keenan Allen. And like the whole stadium knew that it was going to Keenan Allen. I remember that game vividly. I had uh, I had Rivers and Allen in fantasy. And then just watching it, it was like, well, can we put a corner on him at least or like double him? I if know. we want to put linebackers on him, can we at least put two or something? Like it was just it was just such a joke. And you saw some of the same issues, you know, like Devin Bush. I was so high on him coming into the year. And I still am. Don't get me wrong. I don't like to really overreact to week one. But where was he? He was a no-show. Right. The entire defense was a no-show. Uh, TJ Watt showed a little couple of flashes and uh, Hargrave I like a lot but other than that that Pittsburgh defense is just it's not a lot of difference makers there it's just a bunch of guys like yeah. Bud Dupree he's been a complete flop like just nothing much there so is there any team is it is are we on a collision course to the AFC title game between the Chiefs and the Pats I still want to believe in the Chargers a little bit I know they didn't look all that great against the Colts but uh, who knows what's gonna happen with Derwin James but I still think with that offense there's still more than enough time for them to compete and as long as Bosa and Ingram are there they got the pass right. rush as well it's just it's the Chargers so there's gonna be like four more injuries like Hunter Henry just went down I know man and Mike Williams is doubtful for this week too so he might be out and it, it might be all about the Benjamins yeah, baby uh, yeah. Travis Benjamin might suit up right. and <laughs> run some deep bombs against the Lions and that but. old line's looking very fragile I know every year the Chargers offense line looks very fragile but in particular this year so Kung's down as well it's like it's week two and the Chargers already have five significant injuries. It's just another year with the Chargers. It is unbelievable, man. It is unbelievable. But, yo, you know what? I feel like sometimes we value the quarterback so much, and rightfully so. They are the most important position probably in all of sports, and they're the only ones that move the needle when it comes to uh, spreads in Vegas and what they account for against the point spread and whatnot. But, like, yo, Phillip Rivers, Matt Ryan, uh, Aaron Rodgers, they get credited for these losses – or, you know, your, your team didn't make the playoffs and it's on you. But then it's like, well, Aaron Rodgers has lost three straight playoff games in overtime in which he didn't get to touch the ball. Mm-hmm. Is it Matt Ryan's fault that how many guys did they have on IR on defense by like the October 1st last year? Carl Allen, Deion Jones, Keanu Neal, Freeman it, was banged up. Yeah, yeah, and then they also lose two offensive linemen too. It's like, what All do you right. want this guy to do? And then you look right. at Phillip Rivers, like year in, year out, this guy puts up monster numbers and he's never really had a good offensive line. Really hasn't. Like, maybe back in the Schottenheimer years. <laughs> You're talking like a decade back, probably even more. I think that's They a, weren't bad last year, but whatever. Yeah, but still, he's just getting rocked, like, right. year in and year out. I think that's a great segue into this talking point. We saw the Houston Texans on Monday night 
and Deshaun Watson, man. Deshaun Watson, do you think there is any possibility that Andrew Luck has opened up a blueprint for these guys to maybe one day step away early? Because this guy's getting rocked year in, year out. No quarterback has been sacked more than him uh, since he came into the league, and that also accounts for him not being healthy for a whole season, right? He played five or six games roughly. So how do you feel about that, man? Because that offensive line is – it looks like it's going to be an issue again. You also have to take into account he's torn his ACL twice. Right. 2017 and then I forgot what year in college. In, in college, I believe it was his sophomore year. Right. Or, or maybe even freshman year. But, yeah, it was early on because then he came back and he had the two national title games against Bama. Lost one, won one. And maybe he'll like adjust his style of play eventually. But kind of like Michael Vick, he's too fearless for his own good. I think he takes too many hits. And he holds on to the ball a bit too much. But I do think Bill O'Brien's play calling is not doing him any favors. A lot of five, seven-step drops, which we saw a lot of when Luck was there with Pagano back in, what was it, 23, 2013, 2014. They just, I don't think they use play action enough. I don't think there's not a lot of three-step drops. Just I think they need to get the ball out quicker, especially with the amount of playmakers they have now. Like I think there's just a way more efficient way to run the offense. And I'm not sure if Bill O'Brien's the answer. I mean, dude, when we did the preview show, the biggest concern I had with them and the future for Deshaun Watson was... I think Bill O'Brien is going to be his downfall. And this was even, I mean, look, now we have that extreme example of Andrew Luck leaving, right? Something we've never seen before. And it's, you know, you need it to happen more than twice for it to be a trend. So I don't know if it's exactly a trend with Andrew Luck leaving, but it's a lot of similarities. I don't know if it's an AFC South thing, Mm -hmm. but, you know, they haven't really addressed the offensive line much. I know they just traded for Laramie Tunsil, but that's still just one guy. Right. Like, you can have an all-pro left tackle, but if the rest of your offensive line is a D-. minus, They drafted Howard in the first round as well, but you just think, given their roster, you look at their personnel, they're pretty loaded. It just I'm shocked they didn't address it more in the draft, but then again, they didn't have uh, they could, other than Howard or just the past year. I remember they didn't have any picks in the first two rounds because the whole Watson deal. Right, yeah, yeah. they did trade up so to, get, to get Watson. But I also think, like, with with... with the Texans, they got snake picked because the Eagles jumped ahead of them to get Dillard that's from right. Ohio State. And, you know, that's just great. That's just being a great organization. They've gotten their franchise left tackle. So when Peters retires, officially steps away, it's like, well, we have a guy that heir apparent to you. One of the best organizations in the league. I mean, yeah, they just, oh, we have a bunch of wide receivers. So what? We're going to trade to get one in Deshaun Jackson, and we're going to get that dude, uh, that rookie. I keep forgetting. Whiteside? Whiteside, yeah. yeah. Uh, he has those like the two last names right, kind of right. thing, the, the hyphen. Um, but I think with Deshaun Watson, look, it's not all the offensive line, like you said. But I think that comes with him trying to be a playmaker. Yeah. So especially when you look at like we were talking beforehand about that Cowboys game on Sunday night. They were just running so much read option. You just saw him trying to get to the outside. just taking his hits by his linebackers, Jalen Smith, Van Der Esch. It's concerning because he just he doesn't have the stature to do it. Like Cam Newton could take the beam, but we've seen it. Now look at Cam Newton. His accuracy is not quite the same. Uh, He's having surgeries all the time too, Cam. Exactly, yeah. And I think no matter, regardless of how talented QB may be, a, the coach will eventually bring him down. Look no further than Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy, just the whole fall of that. You know, great piece by Ty Dunn, Bleacher Report, just giving like an eight-year, not a summary, but just a whole feature on just how things fell apart. And I do think Bill O'Brien's a bit outdated, but you look at the Houston offense, bringing Kenny Stills, you have Kuti and obviously Hopkins there, and then you saw Will Fuller did on Monday night. There's just so many playmakers there, and I like the tight end Ams as well. Like They just have so many options. And, yo, that backfield didn't do too bad. Yeah, Hyde looks decent, Duke Johnson to get him on screens. I just think there's so many ways for them. Of course, you want to be aggressive. You have two really good vertical threats in Stills and Fuller, so you want to take chances downfield, but I just think there's way too much time for him to continue taking this punishment. So I don't know what the solution is, but... 
I just think Bill O'Brien kind of needs to adjust because we see coordinators, the best play callers like McVay and Shannon using play action, just using all this deception where their QBs aren't taking as much punishment. Like when do you really see golf taking a beating unless it's against Chicago or New Orleans? Yeah, I guess it's like a, a big rush that's coming that he didn't see coming or whatnot. But I do think with Watson, man, I don't understand why organizations do this. You find they've really – the other thing also is they haven't really built enough – offensively, they have the talent. But I think they could have spent their money better because he's on a rookie deal, and that's the biggest luxury. And I know I sound like a be- broken record, but you look at what like look at what the Rams did until now they just paid golf. But I think that contract – just like Wentz, starts next year. Right. You know, Kansas City, they still have Mahomes on a rookie deal. Granted, these guys are making six, $7 million against the cap, but when you have quarterbacks making $30, 35000000 million against the cap and you know all this shit that's going down with Dak Prescott too, I just think that this is the window that you have, right? The Falcons, how much are they paying Matt Ryan? Well, can't do it off the top of my head, but it's quite a bit. <laughs> it's, it's, it's north of like 20. Over 30. No, yeah, 30. Over yeah, 30, I know yeah. It's 30, yeah. You know, and then what Especially happened? the Julio deal now. Yeah, so... I think that they should have done a better job with that. And and Bill O'Brien, I think, is ultimately going to be the downfall. I don't think that it's going to be hard, though, if you're the Texans to fire this guy, too, or make him leave his post because he's won the division three of the last four years. And I think Watson generally likes him. Like, he's backed them. He I does. They were going to fire him, I think, in 17, maybe. It was him and the GM, and the GM obviously went. But I know Watson really likes him, but it's just like that Colts game in the last year in the playoffs. Like, how they, they I don't think they scored till like the fourth quarter. It looked bad. It looked like he had, I mean, a, a couple of drops. There was a drop yeah. touchdown in the end zone and one out when the game was still close. Right. But still, it was just, it looked completely different. Now, I, I got to ask you, do you think that the most important player on this offense might really be Will Fuller? If you look at the splits that Watson has when Fuller's in that lineup, it just seems like that's his big play guy downfield, mm-hmm. right? And now they got Kenny Stills to score yeah. the big touchdown to put him ahead against the Saints and whatnot. Um what would you rank? Do you think, or is it DeAndre Hopkins? Obviously, I think it's obviously Gabby Hopkins, given that what he does just as a route runner, the, the amount of plays he makes in traffic. Like you put the ball anywhere near Hopkins, he's probably coming down with it. But Fuller, you could tell the impact he makes just the way he stretches the field. Like defenses have to accommodate for him, otherwise he's going to take the top off and you're done. Like I think Will Fuller might be like this. I know Sean Jackson is still playing, but you see a lot of similarities with those two. Just how much their speed. You know, the amount of fear they generate within the defense. Like, you just tell, we cannot let this guy get deep. And now you bring in stills. Like, it's just so much talent there. Like, Houston really should be a top three, top four NFC, uh, AFC team. But it's just, I don't know. It seems like it's going to be a struggle just between Bill O'Brien, just the limitations on the offensive line. Like, Tunsil, like, he gave up a big sack on third down. Now, granted, that dude's first step, I forget what his name was, but totally beat him. Oh, yeah. He yeah, smoked was a really, Henderson. Yeah, Henderson. Really good first step, but... It's still in those moments, like, Houston, how'd they lose that game? Like, those are the type of wins you got. And those are the type of wins that could just bring the confidence because it is so hard to play in New Orleans, especially on a primetime game because that dome just gets crazy. I think New Orleans, Kansas City, and Seattle probably the three craziest home field advantages, I would say. If you had any doubts about Deshaun Watson in a big game, big spot, I mean, how many bigger games are there than a national championship? Mm-hmm. Also, I know it's college. I understand it's different. But primetime against the Saints crowd behind it. I have no concerns for him going forward as far as, like, can he be in a big spot and perform? And also, I just think that the moment wasn't too big for him. And he, he kind of outdueled Drew Brees. I think at the end of the game, I I don't understand why teams play prevent defense in situations like that. Why are you rushing two players? 
right? All you need is 30 yards. And you have Drew Brees. Like, that's an eternity. 45, 40 seconds, 37 yeah. around there. Right. And they had a timeout. It's like, yeah. dude, what are you doing? Don't. Don't do that. And then you cut Aaron Colvin for for basically playing ten fifty. Now I know he's been a complete bust for them, but still it's just like that's your decision after completely botching that moment. Okay. And you know Will Lutz is like a top five kicker too. It's just like you have to take these things into account. That was a bomb <laughs> yeah. from like that yo, that would have been good from seventy easily. He's amazing, and especially in the dome. But it's just, I just think Houston, for all the talent they have, especially, and we even mentioned, I think the defense doesn't look the same without Clowney. Like, people could talk about, oh, Clowney doesn't produce the sack numbers like Mac or other feared pass edge rushers, but Clowney's a pain to block, and he's very versatile. You could put him inside, outside. He could do it all. So I think they're missing him. Watt got shut down. Merciless didn't do too much. I think people are kind of not taking into account that Houston's defense might not be very good this year. I mean, J.J. Watt, you say shut down. I think he took the night off. I don't think he recorded a stat. Ramchek's one of the best right tackles, too. But it just that's the New Orleans O-line. But a guy like Watt in that moment, you expect him to make some sort of impact, whether it's you know deflecting a few passes at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, just or, be an impact player in yeah. one way or another. And also just you had a double-digit lead. So I, at one point, New Orleans was forced to throw. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get no pressures. I don't know. Right. You're right. It might be something where we kind of underestimated the impact that JJ uh, – sorry, that Clowney – had on this team. Right. Last thing I just want to mention about Houston, just you know, looking back at the trades with Tunsil, Stills, and then Train Clowney, uh, I think the two players that got in the Clowney deal played like eight snaps. I don't know if Mingo was one of them, but I think that's just hilarious. But just trading two first rounders and a second rounder for Tunsil, that just a hefty price for a guy that he might be top ten, but I'm not sure if he's ever going to reach like a Trent Williams level, which you kind of want considering all the draft capital you're giving up. I would have gave that that deal too well they also got kenny stills in that which i think i do love kenny shouldn't stills, be yeah. shouldn't be slept on uh you know going back into new orleans his old his old stomping ground and scored a touchdown and i think he'll become more implemented in the offense but yeah you're right i would have i would have gave a first round pick for trent williams and i don't care if his age is what it is and like tunsil is obviously a lot younger and whatnot but Dude, protect your franchise quarterback. That's really what it comes down to. And you should, should know that considering they trade Dwayne Brown to Seattle. And look at what the impact Dwayne Brown did for Seattle. Like, he stabilized that left side of the line. Big reason why they made the playoffs last year. Yeah, for sure. So that, that's been a, a big acquisition for them. And I, I guess we got to wait and see. But, it's, you know, the Houston team. There's I think, a lot of expectation there. They got to, they got to do something, whether it's winning a playoff game, going to AFC. I know it's probably they won't beat the Patriots, but they got to do something at some point. Yeah, and also, like, yo, not for nothing, Tennessee is looming. I actually picked Tennessee to win this division, and not it was bad. more so because Houston has the toughest schedule in the NFL. Oh, that's right. And I'm someone that believes in that stuff. I believe in third-place schedules, first-place schedules, and all that because, you know, the difference is are you going to play Kansas City and the Patriots or are you going to play Buffalo and the Raiders? Mm-hmm. Right when you're playing a third place, fourth place schedule, and that's the difference between you going six and ten or ten and six in a league where everything is created for you to be eight and eight. You say the same thing about like Green Bay and Chicago, right? Yeah, so exactly yes, scheduling definitely matters. And Houston's a team that they do have some pretty serious flaws. They're not they're they're kind of ta- they're obviously talented, but the flaws are there to be exploited. And I think New Orleans did that, especially in the second half. <laughs> I don't see any problems. Million from Maddie, Maddie Ice, baby. National television Sunday night. Oh man, Eagles usually doesn't end well. God, forty-five million. I can't wait to see Pat Mahomes' numbers in a year or two. Pat Mahomes is going to sign two hundred million dollars, two hundred million guaranteed. Right. It's it's going to be fully loaded, guaranteed. Yo, dude, when he got hurt against the Jaguars, oh, that didn't suck, man. 
I, I was just like, I saw the tweet. I was like, no. I was like, yo, man, that don't do this to us. Remember a couple of years ago, it was like uh, Wentz got hurt, Rodgers got hurt, I Watson show, got hurt, and that was non-contact in practice. I remember it was like a Thursday, yeah. like five thirty. I'm like, and he was just like, he was like breaking records at that point. Yeah. So, man, that was unfortunate. All right, let's get to a couple of games of the week that we have over here. Kicking us off are the ooh. This is a game that I know all the Saints fans have had circled. Rematch. Uh, did you hear to leave today? I did not. It was like, man, that's a New Orleans problem. They ain't got to do nothing with us about the over uh, about the no call and whatnot. I thought he was gonna bring up something about the court case. <laughs> What's the court case about? I don't know. New Orleans, they're looking. For oh, the yeah. class action lawsuits. Yeah, yeah. Man, fans are crazy, bro. Yeah. Fans are crazy. There's more sure. serious lawsuits in WWE. <laughs> All right, let's get to this game, man. What are you looking at? Rams playing the Saints. The Rams are a two-and-a-half-point favorite in L.A. We know about this game, you know, the NFC title game, the no-call and whatnot. Uh, Rams, big win, impressive win going into Carolina, a team that historically doesn't do well when they travel East Coast, 1 o'clock game. Uh, Kind of a smash-mouth game. It was a very, like, uh, I guess a NFC South game, would you say, where it was a lot of, like running, running the, the ball, ball and whatnot, a or? little bit. But NFC South, they don't play a lot of defense. That's there, true. So. That's true. There was, a, I was impressed with both sides of the ball for right. both of these teams. Um, but staying with the Rams, what are you looking at with them going up against the Saints? It's weird because we saw because usually when it's a rematch, you kind of want to see what the differences are, but there's not a lot of differences. And I think one everything everyone's talking about is Todd Gurley's usage, the fact that Malcolm Brown got a lot of carries, especially goal line carries. But then we saw an NFC Championship game, CJ Anderson was getting those carries. Right. So I don't think Gurley's usage is really going to make a difference in this game. It's not a big adjustment. So I got I got to push back on that a little bit. A lot of people are outraged. He played 71% of the snaps, dominated that aspect, uh, led the team in carries. Oh, wow. Significant. It just so happened that Brown, five touches inside the red zone. Todd Gurley, zero. So that's where the outrage was. And the fantasy police went crazy because I, I myself, as a fantasy owner, I have Todd Gurley. And he had almost 100 yards. He had over 100 yards from scrimmage. He had 97 yards rushing. It's just he he got vultured at the goal line by Malcolm Brown. So Why were people going crazy on Twitter? Like real analysts were just like, oh, this is the sign of Gurley. Oh, yeah, man. I don't know. I, I, I think it's just goal line. Um, yeah, it just so happened. Like, he just fell into that rotation. Like, Gurley was on those drives. He played all the drives. It just so happened. I guess he, like, tapped his helmet to get checked out mm-hmm. and whatnot. By the way, we have the Thursday night football game in the background. All I'm seeing is Christian McCaffrey getting every touch on this first drive. Of Typical Panthers offense. It sounds about right. <laughs> so, for me, I wouldn't be concerned. Now, I do think that the tail of the tape here is going to be Alvin Kamara going up against this Rams defense who got torched by i.e. Christian McCaffrey, right. uh, honorable mention right now as he's running wild against Tampa Bay. And then on the other side, not for nothing, this secondary for the Saints, it didn't matter who Latimer was on. Like, look, DeAndre Hopkins is probably the most matchup-proof wide receiver in the NFL. Um, you know, playing DFS a couple of years ago, remember when the Jaguars were going crazy? Like, that defense was insane. Oh my God. And it was like, uh, it was like Tom, the macho man, Tommy Savage, was the quarterback. <laughs> Right. And it was like, are you going to fade? You like that one, right? That wrestling reference. I got you a little horny. Uh, it it was like, yo, it didn't matter that Jalen Ramsey was going to be on DeAndre Hopkins. This guy gets peppered with targets. And I think he's the most matchup proof wide receiver in the NFL. So Latimer with all these weapons, Cooper Cup is back. He looks his regular self, Robert Woods, mm-hmm. Brandon Cook's revenge. I love the revenge narrative. Another one. You know, and golf. I think this might be a game where golf might have one of those. I don't know if he's going to have a Chiefs-Vikings game. Remember that Thursday night game where he went off against right. uh, the Vikings? But I do think this might be a big game for the Rams through the air. 
especially when we look at the matchups. Like PJ Williams got roasted on the Kenny Stills touchdown. We all know about Eli Apple by now. Uh, <laughs> I still know Eli. about that trade, but it just and then I think Dennis Allen. Maybe because it was the matchup, but he was blitzing a lot more than maybe because Houston's offense line is vulnerable. Yeah. Maybe he won't blitz as much against Goff, but it's just New Orleans defense always very shaky, and their pass rush didn't look that even. Even though they eventually got the Watson, I thought the first half their pass rush looked, especially with a four-man rush, not that great. And I think the Rams are going to do whatever they want offensively, and I could ultimately see whether it's Donald or Fowler, they'll make enough plays defensively to pull this one out. Interesting tidbit over here from producer Mike. 5-0 and o against the spread over their last five home games against the Saints. I remember they played a couple of years ago in the regular season. Thanks, brother, brother. Mm. Uh, and it was like the Camara rookie season. He had a wild-ass game in It was on CBS. Too. Now I remember it was like a weird 425 yeah, yeah, season. That's yeah. when the Rams were just coming up. Yeah, that was the year that they lost to your team, the Falcons, in the That's playoffs. Right. I remember that one. Man, I love that bet. I remember the Falcons were catching points. I was like, yo, this is a layup. Oh, my God. Rams, too big of a moment. Granted, they had that punt return or kick return that oh, yeah. fumbled like Not two. to mention, probably the worst field ever. Like, I interviewed most new during the offseason. He said, yeah, worst field ever played in my life. And this guy that went to Rutgers, and he said that was still oh, the worst shit, field ever. Really? So, yeah, because people just slipping left and right. Like, I don't know if you remember, like, Ryan threw a touch on the Julio on this crazy reverse, and, like, his right leg, his back foot just completely like twisted and thankfully he didn't get hurt but i don't know how rams feels if it's raining watch out like, yeah. i don't know what the was like sunday but but i think yeah cup's gonna be obviously a huge addition but i'm also curious how jared cook's gonna be involved in this because i don't know i just oh another to... revenge game yeah Let's go. and that's the that's the team that gave a lot of chances yeah 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 they did man you know what i think uh i think with this game there's a lot of offensive weapons like this is a game that i think from a fantasy perspective is going to have everyone's eyes glued in on uh daily fantasy i think this is going to be a very heavily owned game just a lot of weapons a lot of guys that could eat two quarterbacks that mm -hmm. they're comfortable in shootouts if it right. needs to be but i do think that i mean the, the weather is going to be good unless it does rain like right. you said if it does rain i do give a bigger edge to the rams because drew Brees outdoors historically his splits and granted look quarterbacks that are in domes when they go outdoors, just naturally, there's a decline. That's just the nature of the beast. And with Breeze, I do think that that's something that um, you need to consider to watch the weather report for this game because I think it makes all the difference. And I just trust the Rams' defense more between Wade Phillips and just the amount of playmakers they have. I just think they'll make a few more plays, whether it's Tlaib or finally you know, Marcus Peters. I remember when he was like a, on the rise to be a top five quarter. Yeah, he just doesn't right? make plays. Like He was getting roasted against Carolina. I think it was DJ Moore getting the better of him. But So so here's the thing. Watching watching Peters early on, because I remember him coming out from Washington, and he fell in the draft because he had a lot of like character issues. Minnesota and took Trey Wayne's over him, which yeah, is a very oh, controversial man. time. Now, I don't know. Trey Wayne's still not good. Yeah, but the thing with Peters is I compared him to Janoris Jenkins, and I got heat for that because it was around the time when Janoris Jenkins signed that big deal with the Giants, and right. like this was when Peters was having this like monster year, yeah. and it's like, of course you're making that comparison because you want him to be what Janoris Jenkins is or whatnot, or you want Jenkins to be Marcus Jenkins Peters. Jenkins is a much better tackler. Peters might be one of the worst tackling corners I've and, ever seen in my life. But the thing it was, and what I kept telling people about Jenkins from watching him with the Rams, it's like he'll get a pick six. And then on the ensuing drive, he'll give a 70-yard bomb up because they're very aggressive corners. They're ball-hawking corners. You know, they try to make plays to turn defense into offense. But in that regular season game last year, I didn't watch it because I was in Washington covering Falcons wrestling. But then Michael Thomas had over like 200 yards on him. Like specifically that matchup, Thomas just destroyed him. So I could see Sean Payne look because, you know, Sean Payne, if any coach is going to look at matchups, Sean Payton's right up there with Belichick. Just if he sings something, he's going to exploit it. So. But ultimately, I just, I'm going to go with the Rams just, I think, they have more defensively, and I just trust Goff 
you'll get the most that whether it's with between Woods, Cooks. It's just I just think there's just too much talent for the Rams and the Saints. I don't know. They didn't look all that convincing against the Texans. I thought they were pretty fortunate, which they kind of were. Yeah, they were definitely fortunate, and and I'm with you on that. I think that was a very very impressive win for me for the Rams. I actually picked the, the Panthers to cover the spread and to win outright. So that was a very impressive win for them, and they come home home opener for the Rams too. Uh, give me a prediction on this one. Where are you going? Go Rams. Let's go 33-27. Oh, you're giving me a score too. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, I kind of like the Rams in this game too because think about it, man. The Rams could be – sorry, not the Rams. The Saints could easily be 0-2 if they were to lose this game on Sunday. Granted, you know, you are what your record is and whatnot. But, yeah, I'd be concerned. Look, my hot take, I'm still not pivoting it away from it. Uh, I, I don't think the Saints are going to be a playoff team this year. And this is hard with me picking the Falcons, <laughs> and they looked horrible against the Vikings. Yeah. But I'm going to stay with hey, that. Carolina's in a rainstorm right now. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move over to a game that I think is really, really interesting, and that is the Pittsburgh Steelers going up against the Seattle Seahawks. Um, both teams kind of – well, one team looked worse than the other, yeah. uh, <laughs> Pittsburgh being that team. Um, do you think – a lot of people in the offseason were saying Juju Smith-Schuster was going to have trouble without Antonio Brown. Is that what you saw? Uh, definitely. Well, it's hard because obviously you saw Gilmore covering. Gilmore is arguably the best corner league, and New England secondary they're just loaded. But I think the issue right now is the supporting cast. I don't think Pittsburgh addressed the. We'll see Washington and Johnson develop, but just I think the real issue is just stop targeting Dante Moncrief. Ten targets, three catches for seven yards. They get like four drops. I know he has a finger issue, but Moncrief's never been good. He's just a role player. Rely on him as a number two. It's not going to work out. So he said that it's funny because we're we're uh, talking him up from a DraftKings perspective because he got a lot of the target market share there with Pittsburgh, right? And the funny thing is, is that he came out and he said that was the worst game I've played in my life. Danny, my buddy Danny, who I do DFS with, he has this take, and it's interesting if you think about it. He said he hasn't Moncrief hasn't played in a big game in his career. If you think about it, like. Even those Colts teams, no? Were they ever in the playoffs? While you, I don't know. It was like in the borderline. <sighs> I'd have to check that, yeah. but you're right. He might have been in the playoffs. but like We know he didn't play a big game in Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah. but like a primetime game against the defending champions, home opener, season opener. I, Still, I get he's that. He's kind of a veteran, though, man. Yeah. 26 years old, too. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I feel like he's like 33. But to me, it's just he does. He's never, even as a bigger receiver, he never really, like, he doesn't make catches in traffic. He doesn't really use his body well. He obviously doesn't separate. It's just Pittsburgh needs consistent vertical threats. And maybe Washington's that guy, maybe Johnson, but it's certainly not going to be Moncrief. And I don't know, maybe Vance McDonald could get more involved, but just there's a lot, there's not much explosiveness in that Pittsburgh offense right now that could be relied on. I think that's the biggest concern. I think you're right on the Stephon Gilmore thing. Um, Last year, PFF had him as the number one corner in the league, and I don't think that's dropped off at all. And you know what's funny with corner? And tell me what you think about this. I think year to year, that position changes as far as who the best corner is in the Absolutely. league. And it seems like Gilmore has been consistently a top five corner since he signed over with Buffalo. And it was kind of alarming that they spent big money because the Patriots don't really spend big money. No. But it's also intriguing, well, interesting, I should say, that they spent money on a division opponent. And him coming over from Buffalo, maybe they had a better idea of him because they're familiar with him playing and preparing for him twice a year. I think that's something to factor in. But, yeah, that's probably the toughest matchup Juju's going to have all year long. I wouldn't really panic. I just like Pittsburgh in this game because, number one, they played on primetime. Everyone saw how bad they were, right? And now they're being underestimated, undervalued. Seattle coming west to east, 1 p.m. start, especially under Pete Carroll. They have one of the worst records 
in football in that situation along with the Cardinals. Um, you know, it's two teams that are making probably the farthest trip from west to east. Pittsburgh at home. Ben always just naturally plays better in Pittsburgh. And I think this is a good spot for Pittsburgh to bounce back, and then everyone will be having this conversation of Pittsburgh being back. I also think Seattle is one of the worst secondaries in the league. They, they've lost quite a bit. Obviously, not having Earl anymore hurts. But it's just, I think obviously the home field helps. But I just think Pittsburgh, they're going to, whether they're going to blitz more, because Seattle's offensive line is always ripe there for a taking. So I think they're going to you know, concoct a little bit more blitzes. And just, I think they also rely on Connor a bit more because due to game script, Connor was kind of a non factor. I think they realize Connor needs to be with Smith Schuster, the nucleus of their offense. Yeah, I do think that they need to get. Um they need to get Washington involved. And what about Vance McDonald? He's another one because I think when it comes to most athletic freak tight ends, he's up there. Just the way you, know, you throw it down a seam. You saw what he did on Monday night against the Bucks last year. He's a dangerous threat. And I think it's surprising that they didn't get him involved. Just, you can't go into games thinking Moncrease can get 10 targets. It's just not going to work out. So getting him involved with Smith-Schuster, that's going to be key. But I don't know. Maybe Pittsburgh just needs to be more of a balanced attack. Running the ball a lot more probably be beneficial for him because they just don't have the reliable vertical threats anymore unless somehow Washington becomes a... Th- I think Washington's talented, but there's still some concern about his hands and just his route running ability. He was... Moncrief was on the Colts team his uh, rookie year in 2014. So... And he played that game against the... Uh, uh, who'd they play? Man, Dontari Poe shaved his head. It bums me out. He had great dreads three oh, years ago. Oh, they played the Patriots that year. That's who it was. That was the deflate gate. Oh, there we go. I know because yeah. he's been in the league quite long. Like, I remember watching him on Thanksgiving against the Steelers a couple years ago, but I don't even think Luck played that game, so who knows. But, yeah, just I, I think Pittsburgh kind of underestimated their offense, obviously losing Bell and Brown. You're losing a lot of explosiveness. You're losing a lot of versatility. Just in terms of getting creative with your – formations i think they're missing quite a bit but i still think they'll beat seattle here. seattle there's still a lot of holes with that team even though you can't cut them out i think if you look at the strength for seattle it's obviously running the football steelers pretty good against the run they shut yeah. down sony michelle they actually the patriots didn't do much on the ground mm-hmm. um it was more brady just kind of you know it's funny man with new england they oh you're really good against the run we're gonna air it out you're really good against the pass we're gonna run it on the ground you know, and they shut down Sony Michelle. I believe he had 15 carries for 14 yards around there. Like it was something really, really bad. Um, and I think the recipe for success for the Seahawks is obviously they want to ground and pound with either Russell Wilson, who doesn't really run as much as he used to. And I mean, now they're paying him north of $30 million. So I would hope you won't want to <laughs> have him not run around. But Carson, obviously, they want to get involved. Tyler Lockett kind of disappointed me. Kind of was a no show the whole game and then scored that one deep touchdown. Uh, DK Metcalf. Gotta talk about DK. Yeah, <laughs> yo, listen. I I love to admit when I'm wrong. I also love to admit when I'm right. Yeah. But uh, yo, he looked good, man. He looked and scary it, at times. And it looks like it looks like he might become the Doug Baldwin for him. His go-to guy on like third downs. Need a big play, it might be him. And also, that's a big body to target. Exactly. And he knows how to use his body, which is key. You could tell he would was not afraid of going against like William Jackson, who's one of the better corners of the league. He was taking it to him. And I, I was surprised to see how, like, his usage. I didn't expect that because people were talking about his route running ability. I think he missed some time in training camp. But he looked like an eight-year pro out there. And I just think they're going to continuously target him because they just don't have a lot there, Seattle. Other than Locke and him, who's really there? I know they're run first heavy. Braun Schottenheimer for life, but <laughs> take that back. Oh, man, that's something I don't think many podcasts say, Brian Schottenheimer for life. Uh, what else? What else do you think in this game? 
Uh, I'm going to see how Clowney does against one of the best offensive lines because people forget Pittsburgh is definitely one of the best offensive lines in the league, and I want to see what Clowney could do against them. I, I really do like Clowney. I know he doesn't get the, like I said before, he doesn't get the sack numbers people wish he could get, but I think when it comes to just uh, from just creating havoc standpoint, he just you could, wherever you put him, he's just gonna he's just a violent player, and you could use him in right away stunts. And I just think with him, I know Jaron Reed suspended, which is kind of a big loss for him. He's spent for like six games, but I just think these are kind of games you want Clowney to make an impact, and so that'll be key to watch for Seattle. But and of course they got Bobby Wagner, who I obviously always enjoy watching. I think he's the best middle linebacker in the league. But I know I do lean Pittsburgh here, but Seattle, you never could count out Pete Carroll. They are one of the best coach teams in the league. I think this is going to be a blowout. Ooh. I think Seattle gets smoked. Okay. Yeah, just it's the spot, man. It's the spot. You'll hear Pittsburgh a little later when we give some of our picks, but I just really like the Steelers. I like this spot. I like when a good team gets embarrassed on primetime football, and then they play the next week, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what you have here in this situation. And not for nothing, I didn't think Seattle looked good. I think they barely escaped a huge upset against uh zach taylor and them boys in cincinnati yeah john ross did you see that coming dude i had no idea double digit targets where the fuck did that come from i had no idea raheem moore was still in the league but then i went to watch that safety botch i was like of course that was raheem moore yo that was horrible right before half too yeah joe flacco was somewhere cracking open beer thank you oh my god that guy raheem moore is the sole reason why joe flacco is in this bullshit well joe flacco was elite (laughs) conversation and it upsets me baltimore the whole city of Baltimore should worship him forever. Last game I want to get to, and then uh, could you, wait, 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 could you imagine going from Earl Thomas to Raheem Moore? Like <laughs> Seattle, <laughs> I like Seattle a lot, but what are we doing? That's horrible. That's horrible. Packers against the Vikings. Both teams looked good in their opening week. In, in, in a weird fashion, they both kind of did it defensively and on the ground. Well, not so much on the ground at Green Bay, but Green Bay more so defensively. Look, you go out there and you spend north of $100 million in guaranteed money on your defense, and your last eight picks have been on the defensive side of the ball. I think it's something that should play out the way it did. Like, you look at the secondary, Jair Alexander, Kevin King, and then front four with Preston Smith and Darius Smith. Both made a big impact. Yeah, yeah, right away. And I think Kenny Clark's one of the best nose tackles of the league. So, it all came together, albeit against... Uh, Blake Bortles 2.0 and Mitchell Trubisky. Ooh, yeah. If Tim was here, he'd be ripping. I like to call him the more athletic version of Bortles, but I, I'm with you, bro. I'm with you. I think, tri- I think the one biggest takeaway I had from Week One was that a lot of the concerns I had with certain units or certain players came in play. Right. Cleveland Browns offensive line thought it was going to be the issue. Jets secondary. Sorry, Mike. Thought it was going to be an issue. I don't know how that John Braun touchdown happened. The entire <laughs> Giants defense, an issue. <laughs> Right, the, the entire Miami Dolphins team <laughs> issues, right? And then you look at this game here with uh, Mitchell Trubisky. I think he kind of cost them that game. And it was you that kind of we had a conversation about this, where you were like, "I don't understand the buzz about Trubisky as an MVP candidate." And you said that you think that he was going to be the sole reason why the Bears don't reach the heights that they should reach with this roster that they have. Yo, Allen Robinson could have had 200 yards that Thursday night football game. I know. You look at, I think Tariq Cohen's one of the biggest, like, in terms of creating mismatches, he's one of the best weapons in the league. And you have guys like Taylor Gabriel, Trey Burnham, I know got injured. Anthony Miller, I don't know where he was, but he's another solid threat. Right. Like, they got talent. And that all line's not bad. That's why I was really shocked by how much Green Bay was taking it to him because I think that Bears all line's pretty good. But 
it was just alarming. And Matt Nagy's one of the more respected play callers in the league, so I think it just comes down to Trubisky, and he was just missing throws. And you know, don't get me start with that Amos interception. Just I don't know where he was going there. I know when you have your number one in the slot, you want to target him because they had Robinson on the slot. That yep. I think it was running a deep corner. Yeah, yeah. But that ball is going nowhere. It's a double coverage too. That's yeah. that's just a dumb decision, and and it comes down to with Trubisky, and you know we're supposed yeah, we to be talking <laughs> about the Vikings and the Packers, but Trubisky is a really polarizing figure right now in the NFL. Um, all right, as far as the Vikings go, they obviously I watched the whole game. I could tell you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Dalvin Cook, man, scary the way he was bouncing runs to the outside. He was making defenders miss. Like there was a one play where Keanu Neal just totally whiffed, and I was just like, Keanu Neal does not miss open field tackles often. And it, we always knew Cook was one of the more violent runners, but now we can see him making players miss in the open field, and that's what's scary. And He's dangerous. I love Dalvin Cook coming out of Florida State. I was absolutely in love with him. I, I even bet him to win the Heisman one year, too. And, yo, he had a usage rate prior to tearing his ACL, similar to Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson back in 2017. Mm-hmm. Then he goes down with the ACL. And then last year, coming back from it, yo, not for nothing, not everyone's Adrian Peterson. Not everyone <laughs> could tear their ACL in January and then come back and rush for 2,000 yards and win the MVP. It just doesn't happen. Even if you look at the quarterbacks, right? Jimmy Garoppolo... I think isn't going to be able to hit his ceiling until next season, having more than a year and change recovering from an ACL surgery, right? Look at Carson Wentz. Mm -hmm. Carson Wentz last year did not look that good. Ditched the knee brace this year. First half abysmal, didn't play in the preseason. Second half lit it up, right? right? And then you look at Deshaun Watson, the same thing. When you don't have that concern, Tom Brady, the year after he tore his, when he tore his ACL in, in 08, 09, he comes back. They were still good, whatever. 2010, I believe he wins MVP. So it's like you need enough time to recover from a torn ACL. Now, with Dalvin Cook, you're also a running back. I think you needed time. It's also like a mental thing. As someone who I tore my ACL also, I'm not saying I'm an athlete like Dalvin Cook and them, but it's like when I was playing flag football, tremendous rec league quarterback, by the way, just moving around and stepping into it, I didn't really start to play well until like a year after. Like even the mental thing of thinking about it, like now – I forget sometimes until I have conversations like this. I'm like, yo, I actually had ACL surgery. I have no restrictions. I have nothing, right? So I think with these players, it's just a mental thing where they want to get past it, and then you see like a guy like Dalvin Cook just running wild. Mm-hmm. Is the recipe for success for the Vikings to have Kirk Cousins throw under 10 times? Definitely in big games because we know <laughs> Kirk Cousins does not deliver in big games. But <laughs> I also think for the sake of the offense line, because as we know for the past few years, Minnesota's offense line has held them back because they have a championship caliber defense. They have best wide receiver duo in the league. Like The town's clearly there. Is that where you stand with that duel? Because that's how that's how I feel. I, I, I said so. this, I, I believe, on the previous show. I said that they have the best wide receivers in the league. Two phenomenal route runners to make plays in traffic. You use them in a variety of different ways. Both could be used in a slot. I think both of them are tremendous. It's weird, though, because they have no doubt. Like, Josh Doxson was technically the number three. He just went IR today. Uh. Like, it's just, but I know Zimmer wants to play, and especially now with Gary Kubiak's influence, they're going to, they run a lot of two tight end sets, live formation. Like, we saw, like, there was, like, Atlanta slot corner, DeMonte Casey barely even saw the field because, which is rare. Like, usually nickel corner now, you see him 60, 70%. Oh, snaps. nickel corner now is like. Starter. Yeah, you're a starter. Yeah. But if you're, if you're a third stringer and you're a nickel corner, you're starting. But guess what? If you're playing the Vikings now, I'm not sure if you're going to play a whole lot because right. that's just not the way they play now. It's kind of old school. But when you have a talent like Cook and you have receivers that are as versatile as um, Thielen and Diggs, why not? But I just think what we're Minnesota for the offense, you just got to see how the offense line holds up because there's still question marks there. This is what I like to say about Kirk Cousins. He's fine until a week like this where you're on the field and you look across from you and it's number 12 in Green Bay. And it's like, Kirk Cousins is dope, but 
when he's going up against a Pat Mahomes, a Carson Wentz, uh, upper echelon quarterback. Or hostile environment in general. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, all right, we're at a disadvantage at quarterback. Because you saw some of the games this year, New England, Chicago, Seattle. These were all uh, – I don't think the New England game was prime time. But I remember like the Seattle and Chicago game specifically. That offense looked hopeless, especially that Seattle Monday night game. Yeah. And it's just those moments like we need Cousins to make a play – Somehow throw a pass downfield, just do something, and you just don't get it from it. And then they have no running game. Like I remember last year, Minnesota was, I think, the worst team in the league in terms of uh, short yards conversion, where it was third or fourth down. They just couldn't get it, whether it was Murray or Cook. So I just think those two are holding back because I think the defense is phenomenal. They do tend to tell off at the end of this season. Like I do notice that they're not quite as late in the summer. I think that's because Xavier Rhodes is kind of injury prone. And the pass rush, Everson Griffin had his mental health issues as well last year. So those are two guys they need. If those two guys are there, they're top three defense. And I think we saw, especially last Sunday, just the way they just gave Matt Ryan all sorts of fits. So uh, we'll see because Aaron Rodgers, I thought it was a little concerning, especially he's never had great footwork. You see Aaron Rodgers always rely on his arm, but he maybe because obviously Chicago is the best defense. Wait, hold on. You don't think he has good footwork? I think he's careless with his footwork at times. That's a, but his I, arm is I, phenomenal. So I think that's what makes him great. Yeah, I know. But he has like lazy mechanics because he relies so much on his arms. Yeah. yeah. No, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But it doesn't really matter because he's still elite. Like, yeah. he's still phenomenal. But you just saw last week, like, he was missing some throws and you watch his footwork. Didn't look good. And I, I thought he kind of struggled. But then you have to take it into account because that Chicago defense is loaded. So I don't want to be too critical of Rodgers, but I don't think he looked good at all last Thursday. I think just as a whole in the NFL, you're going to see a lot more, a lot better quarterback play in week two. Because for most of these guys, it was a preseason game as far as like your reps, right? right? I think the perfect example was Carson Wentz with the Eagles. And I know you guys have a tough task. It's, yeah. not, it's not a game we're going to break down. Yeah. But like Carson Wentz, man, he looked so bad in the opening half because he didn't play at all in the preseason. And like that's what's going to happen. Yo, even Jared Goff against the Panthers, I was watching that game because the way I have it set up, and you, I mean, you guys can see it. I have the two monitors over there and I kind of have red zone on the big TV and then I spotlight two games I want to watch and... I was watching for Todd Gurley, and just that game in general was just an important game for me to watch. And golf was just missing dudes I wide open. I saw the highlights, yeah. Just like Could the timing of it. Yeah, bit. picked off. Just yeah. Woods is running drag routes. He's wide open. He's overthrowing them, or he he one-hopped the ball to Cooper Cup. And it's just like McVay started this last year. He's like, I'm not going to play these guys in the preseason because I know what I have in them. And it does affect your performance in week one. Right. Yeah, there's no denying that. It's just crazy that Rodgers has to go now from Chicago to Minnesota. You want to talk about a tough task. Well, they could they can get a nice – I know it's still early, but they went on Sunday 2-0 in the division, two opponents who – That's their competition. Competition, <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not Detroit, yeah. you know, and um, I do think that you'll see more – Minnesota kind of shut down Devontae Freeman, right? Yeah, based on game script, Freeman could barely do anything. Right, yeah. right. So do you think Aaron Jones might be a factor? Because I'm a big – I I'm think, Aaron Jones. So I, I like him too, but I think, and I also think Lafleur is going to try to get him involved because I think he wants balance in that offense. But it's just Minnesota's front four, just and their linebackers too. I've always been big on Anthony Barr. I think Kendricks is one of the better linebackers. I love league. Kendricks, man. And the way they use Harrison Smith. Uh, in the yo, box. we didn't even mention him. You were talking about. Uh, you were talking about. They have so many playmakers, in Minnesota. Yeah, they have an All Pro at every level. Yeah, and Harrison Smith, I think, is one of the most. Underappreciated. Joseph's one of the top dudes. Oh my God, I missed him. We even talk about Daniel Hunter, who's I think he's one of the biggest freak of nature in the league in terms of edge rushers. And he's, I think he's only 24 too. 
which is scary. They're just so loaded, Minnesota. It's, it's, that's why it's crazy that they have not really made a Super Bowl. I know NFC Championship, they kind of fell apart against Philly, obviously, but they just they have so much sound. That's why I am picking Minnesota. I just don't, I'm not sure. Oh, in Lambeau. Yeah, I'm just not sure if Rodgers and LaFleur on the same page. I know it's one week bias. I'm not sure, but it's just I didn't like what I saw from Rodgers, and I think they're going to key on Devontae because one thing um, that – Zimmer knows how to do it when it comes to number of receivers. He can limit them. He's, Shit, he's, I wish I listened to you last week, man. You dude, gave me the insight. You're like, yo, don't play Julio. Totally, especially Julio. He, that guy didn't play in preseason. Um, but uh, Zimmer knows how to key in on guys. And I know Rodgers is going to force feed Adams as much as possible, but I'm not really liking much of that supporting cast. I do. I am intrigued by Valdez Scanley. We'll see more of it. Uh, it's good to see Jimmy Graham's alive. Right, uh, yeah. Don't think I saw Jimmy Revival. Graham play. Revival. Don't think I saw Jimmy Graham play football last year. <laughs> but uh, he made a hell of a catch. But I just, that Green Bay sports. And I I was a little shocked, maybe once again Chicago, but that old line looked a little sketchy. Even Bakhtiari was getting pushed around quite a bit. That Green Bay offense line, I know, is notorious for being one of the better offense lines in the league, but they have some question marks there, and Minnesota will exploit that. I'm a, I'm very excited for this game. I also think um, both wide receivers for the Vikings could have a big game. That's if Kirk Cousins throws the ball more than six times, uh, twenty times. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I think I think the games that we mentioned are the marquee games of the weekend, and obviously the primetime game, which is you know the Falcons and the Eagles. Um, all right, I think this is a good place for us to stop. Uh, Alan, Wait, who are you going with, Green Bay or? I'm going with Green Bay, man. Right, I figured I, I'm, that. I'm going with Green Bay. I think Green Bay at home, Rogers home opener. I, I just think that defense looks really good. Yeah, yeah, the defense. It's I think a very a very big soundbite that's going to be played throughout this season is when Michelle Tafoya interviews Aaron Rodgers after that Thursday night game. And he just goes, we got a defense. And he has that like six year old smile when you're waiting for the Santa to come down right. and, and give you your presence. So I haven't seen one really since uh, won the Super Bowl back in 2010, 2011. Yeah. When they had so many playmakers, but yeah, I, I could see Green Bay obviously winning. It's a true 50-50 game. I just think I think I'm banking on Zimmer and Kubiak in that roster. I just think I just think it's a it's a typical situation where yeah. If there's any Vikings fans listening to this, let let me know how you feel about that. Where Kirk Cousins is cool, you're comfortable with him until he plays an elite guy. That's where he kind of gets exposed because you see the other guy running wild and doing all that. You're like, damn, I don't have a quarterback that can do that. Yeah, because when it comes to like above average quarterbacks or quarterbacks that are well known, I don't think anyone get. When it comes again, like skish in the pocket, you see Kirk Cousins. He gets so panicky when he, pressure comes, and Green Bay's gonna bring heat. They got playmakers now. I was a, I was super pro Kirk Cousins. Do you know when it switched on me? If you had to was guess, was it last year? No, he was with the Redskins. But what moment was it? Was where, the playoff game against Green Bay? No, it was the Week Seventeen game oh, against the Giants. How did I forget that? Win and they're in, dude. The Giants played like nobody. Right, that was a Giants. Twenty sixteen. Yeah, but they yeah, went eleven we and five. They played nobody. Paul Perkins had like hundred twenty yards rushing. Remember that guy? And it's like Kirk Cousins just nothing dud. It's like, dude, yeah. you're playing at home. The Giants literally, no matter what, were the five seed. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, last season, nothing. All, all those away games, other than the Rams game, which was impressive. But you look at the games against New England, Chicago, Seattle, complete duds, and you they vest a lot in Kirk Cousins. He's supposed to be the guy to put him over the top, and I'm not sure if he's the answer. But look, Minnesota has a boatload of town and i do think they'll pull it out but it's a fascinating game. i think all the one o'clock games that's the mark i think that one's slightly i'm more intrigued slightly with that one than say uh seattle pittsburgh pittsburgh yeah yeah, yeah. all right alan thanks for uh, joining us again where can they find you if they want to contact you alan underscore stirk that's a double l e n underscore s-t-r-k 
Yo, where uh, I read some of your write-ups and shit. Do you pl- plug that stuff? Still too, SB man? Nation, salute to the Falcon. Still covering the Falcons. Been doing it since 2015, and yeah, it's just been on the beat, focusing a lot on uh, undisciplined linebackers, no gap control, just a lot of bad. <laughs> you want to talk about bad run defense? So I've been writing about the a bit this week, but yeah, Falcons Eagles Sunday night. I'm very uh, that game is always great. I'm a little bummed it's not Philly because I would have gone to cover it, but those games are always. Are they playing any game relatively close to New York? It's the first year, no. Usually they do it, so I usually go two three games. But this year there's really oh, nothing. Man. But Dude, do you know what I would do if you ever got me to meet Julio Jones? Oh man. <laughs> You have to get through like 10 reports. I know, I, I, I've I know. talked to Julio in the past, but it's like kind of like a scrum. You don't get one on one. I just want to shake his hand and say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people told me, like, Julio's won leagues for a couple of my boys. Like, my boy's like Julio the God. But, uh, shit, you look around my room, I could point to how many things have been Julio Jones inspired. Yeah. But yeah, you could check my work out at the Falcon. I usually post the review piece Monday morning. Friday, I got the preview, and I usually put together GIF reviews and like a film breakdown Wednesday, Thursday. So, yeah, Twitter, Alan underscore Sturk. That's Twitter's everything. Yo, you got to show me how to do the, the the gifts, man. Those shits are incredible. I remember you also teased it where you're like, best for last. You did Julio on like the last day of the summer. You have to. Oh, man, that was good. That was good. All right, uh, let's hear a word from our sponsor before we get to some soccer. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. I just found out about this awesome company called Taver. Taver is a way to select delicious craft beers you can now find in your local area and have them delivered right to you. If you know anything about me, I love me some IPAs, and they have some awesome IPAs. I'll probably never, ever have a six-pack because I love IPAs. Taver helps you turn your fridge into the best craft beer bar around. Get access to the most sought-out after beers, 47 states all in one place, two to three times a day we feature a new hard to find craft beer vr free app if you guys download the app today and enter the promo code veteran you will get ten dollars in cold hard beer cash to use on the app after you spend 25 dollars. again it's free to sign up and there's no obligation to purchase download the app enter the code veteran to get ten dollars of cold hard beer cash All right, guys. My next guest right now is uh, the good brother Alex Perez. If you guys are following us on social media, which if you're not, that's a you problem. You need to fix that. But if you if you follow the show at Veterans Minimum on Twitter, at Veterans Minimum Show on Instagram, you've seen his work. And he's a big soccer fan. My buddy Alex Perez. Alex, what's good, brother, brother? How's it going, Nick? Listen, uh, I got to tell you something real quick before we start talking about the beautiful game. It's crazy how three years ago I was listening to you guys, drawing inspiration from a lot of the stuff that you were doing. Now, three years later, I'm featured on the show. This is incredible. (laughs) I'll make sure to Venmo you for the kind words that you just said. (laughs) I wasn't looking for (laughs) for any money, but it's all good, man. I'll take it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm just messing with you. But yeah, um, I think we reconnected. Well, not reconnected. We connected a couple of years ago. You asked me to be on your podcast, and that was actually the first time that I got asked to be on a podcast. That was really cool. We talked about like the World Cup, and I believe it was uh, some. Uh, it might have been some uh, wrestling stuff also. But yes. yeah, a- Alex. Alex has been helping out. He does some of the really cool graphics that you guys seem to enjoy and like, and the videos and whatnot. And you know, he's a big soccer fan. And I figured, you know, Champions League is next week, and 
we've ran VMFC in the past and people seem to enjoy VMFC and I figured why not let's get Alex on here introduce him to the VM audience and whatnot and so yeah first and foremost let me say welcome to the show and also I appreciate the work that you're doing behind the scenes for the show I appreciate the time and and your words I appreciate all of that all right let's get into this right now uh, let's put this love affair aside and and stop putting <laughs> me over but all right so I want you to tell us what is the Biggest storyline for you in the world of soccer, just across the board? Oh, man. Since we're fresh off the transfer window, the only storyline that people should be looking at right now is PSG. Because what's been going on with PSG within these last three, four months has been absolutely incredible. Um, Neymar, of course, he assaulted a fan in May. And then... um, and then he just started talking about how he's no longer happy in Paris. And then we know that whole saga. And now he's staying. But what happens at the end of the transfer window? They bring in Mauro Icardi. If you guys don't know Mauro Icardi, I'll tell you guys real quick. Um, Argentine striker. Very, very good player. Um, at some point, he had more goals than he had professional games. So that just tells you how good he is. And... His biggest problem is that he actually stole his best friend's wife. So he's with her now, and she's his agent. And she isn't the easiest person to deal with. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see all these egos and how those are going to mesh. It's kind of like the Cleveland Browns right now. Yeah, this guy, Icardi, is uh, he's one, one interesting individual, to say the least. Yeah. He was a guy who, I believe he was left off the Argentina roster, wasn't he? Uh, yes, in the World Cup, yes, he was. Because apparently him and Messi don't get along. So Messi pulls the strings there, and he said, no, I don't want to see him. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, obviously Messi pulls the strings and whatnot. And, you know, I think ultimately one of the, the, one of the reasons why, and I guess a black eye on Messi's legacy, which is a tremendous legacy, you know, it's just in the world of soccer, if you don't win with your national team, you're not in that upper echelon of Maradona and Pelé and all these, you know, uh, Zidans of the worlds and whatnot, where you have to have success with your country. Ronaldo has surpassed them in that sense because he won a Euro Cup with Portugal. So I think ultimately the black eye on Messi's career is going to be that he wasn't able to get along with some of these guys, Alex. Like, uh, Dybala shouldn't be coming off the bench. I'm sorry. You uh-huh. need to put your ego aside, especially the year that he had in Serie A with Juventus and the last couple of years that he was having prior to the World Cup. You got to just like, yo, do you want to win? This is for your legacy. Like, the next guy, this next guy up who's the next guy in line is going to help you reach your goal. And I think ultimately that's going to be the biggest downfall for Messi with Argentina because – I don't see them winning a major tournament if they haven't well, already. Uh, I mean, I agree with you. I think that they don't have that that team that they had in 2014, which went all the way to the World Cup final somehow, some way. But they had good talent. And the thing is, and, and you mentioned something just real quick um, about Messi not getting along with some of the players. I feel, and this is no offense to any people from Argentina, I love the country, I love their culture, but it's a cultural thing. Argentine people are very egotistical. It's about themselves. It's not so much about the team or about the group. And I'm, I'm talking more about the players right now. Right. How, um, how egotistical that can be. And that has happened in 
every generation of Argentine soccer. We talk, we can talk about even the 86th generation that won the World Cup in Mexico. I'm pretty sure majority of those guys didn't get along because maybe one of them made more money than the other, or maybe the other one was dating a hotter chick than the other one. That's just how it is. Fragile eagles sometimes are the downfall of these of these great generations of soccer players. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, and that's always the issue. There's always clicks when it comes to international soccer. It's like mm. you said, Messi says, yo, I don't want that guy to start. I want Aguero to start. And no no disrespect to Aguero, like, he deserved. That might be a bad example to use, but the idea behind that is what I was trying to, you know, uh, elaborate yeah. on. All right, let's talk a little bit about the Champions League. Champions League is one of my favorite events. One of the re- main reasons why I like it is, number one, for me, it's always been a bonding thing with my with uh, the head OG, my dad and I. And also, it's like in the middle of my day on a Tuesday, Wednesday, when nothing else is going on. It's like, all right, I got some yes. dope, I got some dope sporting events on right now, and. You know, not for nothing, there's always a group or two that are intriguing with some of these matchups. So let's start off with, let's talk about a team to watch, Alex. And I don't want you to tell me Barcelona. I don't want you to tell me, I don't want you to tell me Real Madrid. I want you to tell me, like, give me, like, one of these, like, A minus B plus teams that might make noise. Because not for nothing, man, we always have a team that makes a run to the uh, quarterfinals or the semifinals that kind of came out of nowhere. So who do you think that team might be this year? Well, last year, uh, the team that fits that criteria is Ajax, and I think they're going to have a good year again this uh, in this Champions League. But they're not my surprise team. My surprise team, and it's funny because we were just talking about one of their former players, Inter Milan. I think that the signings that they made this season, of course, my boy Alexis Sanchez, we share the same name, um, Romelu Lukaku, an excellent striker all of a sudden because for Manchester he couldn't control a ball to save his life. Right. And now he's one of the best players, one of the best strikers in the world. Um, a couple changes uh, on the bench too. Antonio Conte, a new idea, a new philosophy. He got rid of a lot of baggage that Inter Milan was carrying and that baggage being Mauro Icardi and uh, Rajan Angolan. So I think he's kind of molding this team into what into his liking. And you have to really watch out for Inter Milan. They're hungry. They're, the last time that they won a Champions League was in 2010. Um, so they're heading into their 10-year anniversary without winning at all. And um, one of my favorite coaches of all time was 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 the head of that team, Jose Mourinho. So uh, Antonio Conte could be could be the next one up and write his name in golden letters in Inter Milan's very, very long history. Yeah, Inter Inter's you know what's funny about Inter man? They were a team that, you know, the next the next Brazilian guy used to always go there, right? Like Ronaldo, the OG Ronaldo <laughs> yeah. used to be there. Uh Adriano used to be there too. Yes. And they were always like the appeal with them for me was their jerseys were dope. Like that black and blue color pattern was always sick and they were always a team that was like just interesting and in the mix, you know, and um, yeah, just something I, I like that. I like that call there on them for me. Um, and, you know, everyone knows my love affair with Christian Pulisic, but <laughs> Chelsea back in the Champions League also. I think that's going to be interesting, but that's not going to be my pick. I think that's like a that's like a cop out answer for me. I want to mm-hmm. I want to dive into this one team and it's it's my arts nemesis in Greece. Olympiacos. They are a team who they've kind of 
so here's the thing with the Greek league, and it's very it's very uh, familiar with some of you for just like the country or the league that you tend to follow, your native league. There's a lot of corruption behind it, Alex. Oh, boy. <laughs> this is a team who historically wins the league by 10, 15 points every single year. And then in the past, they would get absolutely shellacked in Champions League. And my whole take used to be from a young age. It's like, well, you can't pay to win in the Champions League. Like, you can't you can't pay referees to fix games or whatnot. And in Greece, a lot of times, it's like, well, this is the, this is the sister team to this big club there. And it's like, well, this team needs a draw to be saved. And there's a lot of, like, match fixing. You know, my favorite team in Greece got sent all the way down to the fourth division many years ago. One, for match fixing. Two, because they were declaring bankruptcy. And in order to not have to pay all the players that they promised money to, they had to, you know, file bankruptcy and go all the way down to the fourth fourth division. That's AK Athens, who was in Champions League last year. But, you know, this team in particular, they're just, they're a dominant, dominant Greek team. Valbuena, most famously from... uh, from the French team who had his issues with Kareem Benzema and didn't go to the national team. And that's a whole nother podcast we could dedicate to. You want to talk about stealing someone's girlfriend. That's uh, (laughs) that look up the Matthew Valbuena incident with Kareem Benzema. And that's a guy who like showed out in the Euro cup. uh, Sorry, in the last world cup for them prior to winning it, you know, like there's a guy who became a household name. So He's on this team, too. And then they they just have a lot of Greek dudes that play for the Greek national team. And it's just a team to just look out for because, you know, not for nothing, their group is, I would say, kind of favorable. Um, I don't even know who this team is. I'm not going to try to pronounce their name, but they're like Servena Zvezada. Oh, yeah, that's uh, Red Star Belgrade. Is it? Yeah, but they want their their name and UEFA to be like their authentic name. They just want to complicate our lives over here. Oh, okay. So, all right. So, I know who what that. Well, okay. You know what? I actually feel a little bit different about this group because we we know Bayern and we know the the Hotspurs and Tottenham. So, okay, interesting. I didn't. uh, Now that I look at it, the logo is the same, so that makes sense. But (laughs) all right, give me give me a give me a player to watch. Oh, a player to watch, man. There's. The beauty of the Champions League is that the, the the pool of players, the pool of talent is endless. But the guy that I am picking, and this is a guy that everyone should watch, whether you're going to watch the Champions League or not, whether you have time or not, his name is Donny van de Beek. He wears number six and he plays for Ajax. This guy, everyone talks about Matej Delish, everyone talks about Frankie de Jong, everyone talks about uh, Akim Zayek and Dujan Tadic. But Donny van de Beek was a guy who was scoring the goals in the important moments. He scored one against Tottenham in the semifinal, which, you know, I mean, we all know how that went. But still, he gave them a lead. He gave them an advantage to go back home. I don't remember if he scored against Real Madrid or not. Uh, but he but he got some very important goals. I think against Juventus, he definitely scored. This guy, very important. He's the heart of the team. And he was linked with Real Madrid all of this summer. The transfer fell through, but uh, the president of Real Madrid actually came out a few days ago and said that Donny van de Beek is almost for sure signing for Real Madrid in summer in the summer of 2020. So you got to watch out for him because if he has a transfer for Real Madrid waiting for him, then he's probably going to show off. Mm. 
Okay. Okay. I wanted to pick. I wanted to pick. So I'm. I'm gonna cheat on this one. It's my show, so I'm allowed to do it. So I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you two names. One. I want to see how this entire Neymar saga plays out with PSG because they oh, are boy. also in the same group with the team that he was linked to, right? Real Madrid and Barcelona both were in the running to make some big splashes yes. to get Neymar over there, and he's openly said like, I kind of want out. You know, it's it's the typical millennial. These goddamn millennials. I am a millennial too, so I'm you know throwing myself under the bus. But you know he's I'm never happy. <laughs> he's making he's making all this money over in Paris, but you know, and he wanted to be his own man, get out from under the shadow yeah. of, of Messi and whatnot. But I guess sometimes you realize that like, yo, not everyone's built to be the guy. And mm-hmm. I'm starting to think, man, that Neymar might not be that guy because not for nothing, Brazil won the Copa without him, right? Yeah. I think I think with Rama uh, with, with PSG, I was telling my dad how if he was to leave and. You know, the return was going to be Rakitic, Dembele, and about 100 million euros. I was like, yo, we should maybe bet PSG. Like, Neymar might be a cancerous player for as great as he is. And I don't think right now, dude, if I was to power rank my favorite athletes to watch across the board, Neymar's in my top three. Like, that guy, when he has a soccer ball and he's on, he's the funnest player to watch. Like, he's literally a modern-day social media superstar what i mean by that is he can capture someone's attention in 20 seconds and he can have that viral clip where he like undresses someone with a soccer ball at his feet but with that being said that doesn't entirely mean that he is as great as people make him out to be and he might not be a guy that's easy to get along with so for me number one it's neymar to see how he's going to interact with everything that's going on with him and you know sometimes when you throw your your teammates under the bus and whatnot like it's kind of alarming and then the other guy is Leroy Sané I think one Ooh. of the biggest issues for the German national team was this guy didn't get called up to the main roster for the World Cup I, I think that was the biggest snub of any player at the World Cup would you say would you agree with that Alex uh, I think that was a very very big snub, and I am happy that happened because Mexico ended up winning that game. So okay, I'm not okay, fair enough, player. I'm not gonna, I'm not mad at you for sure. Uh, all right, cool. All right, as we wind down here, this segment with Alex, a little VMFC. I always have to talk about this anytime I have a guest on that deals with soccer. No matter what it is, I like picking people's brains, especially someone who Alex. I don't think we got to mention really. I mean, you mentioned it now. In passing, how you were happy that Mexico ended up advancing, and that's why Leroy Sané wasn't there. You were happy about that. Tell people a little about like your background, like where are you from, what's the teams you like. I I, I feel like I was a terrible hosting job on my end in the introduction. It's okay, no, you put me over quite quite well in the introduction, and I, I appreciate that. But yeah, well, I am a Mexican American. Both of my parents are from Mexico, born and raised in Mexico, and I was brought up with. Uh, with a lot of influence from the Mexican culture. I mean, my first language was Spanish, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I tend to lean more towards the Mexican national team than towards the U.S. national team. That doesn't mean I don't like the U.S. national team, but I just lean more towards the Mexican national team because that's what my uncles kind of told me to do. So I have, you know, 21 years later, here I am, still supporting, right? Um, but, yeah, a, a club, I really... I, I follow Barcelona. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that I'm a fan of Barcelona, but I follow Barcelona. That's probably the, the, the team that I follow the most. Uh, and then national team, I mean, uh, yeah, Mexico, U.S., 
those are my my two teams. But when they face off, uh, it's, it, I'm wearing the green jersey, man. So uh, that might rub some people the wrong way, but guess what? That's how I was brought up. What can I do about it? <laughs> hey, I feel that, man. And you know what? Not for nothing. Uh... Mexico just absolutely pummels and dominates the U.S. anytime they play as of late. So there was a period where that wasn't very true, and it wasn't too long ago. Right, so, I know, man. It's yeah. it's just funny. the The fall for grace has been, you know, not for nothing. I think that the current state of U.S. soccer it's still in flux. I'm still not overly confident. I don't understand why it's so hard to find guys to compliment Christian Pulisic. And I understand that that guy's a rare breed. I already think he's the best American soccer player we've ever had. And it's crazy because he's not even 21 yet. But the thing with him is that, you know, at a young age, his father was like, I'm not going to send him to play high school soccer or college soccer. Like this kid has that it factor that people always talk about. And he sent him overseas and he signed with Dortmund who Borussia is one of the top developmental programs in Europe. You know, obviously everyone knows about Ajax. That's like the most historic one. And uh, I think Sporting Lisbon had Ronaldo famously. And, you know, they mm-hmm. produced some big names too. I, I believe Nani was from there also. But mm-hmm. Dortmund, you look at, I mean, half of the German roster at the World Cup that they won was all Dortmund and Bayern Munich players. And <laughs> a lot of the Bayern players ended up being, you know, stolen away from Borussia's team so he's a rare breed I think if it wasn't for Christian Pulisic I'd be way more concerned for Team USA how do you feel as an outsider I shouldn't say an outsider as someone who your arch rival is Team USA when USA is on the menu now as an opponent Alex are you like worried about them at all well yes and no yes because I remember the, the, the stuff that, that I would see a couple years ago, seeing U.S. completely outclass Mexico, and I'd be like, okay, the U.S. might be better than Mexico. They might be, and we have, in, in the Mexican media, there's this thing that people want to call either Mexico or the U.S. They want to call them the, the giants of CONCACAF, and there, there, was, there was one point where the U.S. was not, uh, sorry, where the U.S. was the giant of, uh, of the CONCACAF, but just seeing the players... Right now, I'm like, dude, that defense is, like, made out of water and paper, you know? That's just a poor, poor defense. The goalkeeper doesn't provide much security. Um, Pulisic can create all the chances he wants, but if the ball is going to Altidore or to Zardes or to Jordan Morris, dude, he they can shoot all they want. I mean, I, I I was at the Gold Cup final a few months ago, and uh, there was this one play that I remember vividly, very vividly. Pulisic with a great assist, or was supposed to be an assist to Josie Altidore. Altidore couldn't even hit the ball right. And I'm like, wow. A world-class striker would have scored that with his eyes closed. That's something that the U.S. needs. A world-class striker. They need some defenders. And, um, yeah, I just... I was watching the, the, the game against Uruguay, and I see that this team really doesn't have much of an identity. That that coach has been there for, like, almost a year. Greg Belhalter, or whatever his name is. And there's just no identity. The, the, they try to play from the back, and they can't. Um, they... They try to string a couple passes together. They can't. 
I counted like five passes together, and then Uruguay was on them. But Uruguay is a world class team, so uh, I mean, you can't you can't really compare them right now. Maybe at one point in time you could have, but the U.S. is just in a bad position, and I think that the problem with the U.S. one. I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here. It won't take too long, I promise, Nick. Uh, I think that the MLS is a big problem because in the MLS, you don't have a proper calendar. They follow a baseball calendar, first of all. So that kind of, it, it's a bit unbalanced when like you compare like the levels of the players. And that, that might just be me, the only one that's picky about that. But I, I think that calendar should be from August to May. There's no relegation in the MLS, which, I mean, in soccer there should be relegation. And now the Mexican League is following a similar path, which I am completely against. But that's what it's, that's what it's going towards. And there are too many teams in the MLS as well. Right. At some point we're going to have like 32. And it's cool in the NFL, it's cool in the NBA, but in soccer, a top-tier league has 20 teams, period. MLS yeah. surpassed that a long time ago. And there's no academies either, like no big academies. Like right here we have the Chicago Fire Academy. It developed in the last couple years. They've developed maybe one player, Georgi Mihailovic. I don't know if you're aware of, mm. of who he is, but um, I actually know him because he played with my friend. Uh, they played together, and they're still very good friends. But um, they've develop one guy and he rarely plays he doesn't get any minutes so the way that they develop the players it's terrible and then of course the college system doesn't work at all that's that's what in soccer yeah yeah, that's that's what i think the biggest issue is and and we can wind down with that where i've always been outspoken where you know nothing against education but when you're looking at soccer we're, we're talking about a strictly a soccer point of view when you're a kid and you graduate from college or you get drafted from college and you're 21, 22 years old and you're now a professional in the MLS, dude, there's kids in Europe and in South Africa, South Africa, South America, yeah, even South Africa too, like all over the world that are professional at 16, 17 years old and they just have a, they just have a head start on you. So I think the, the, the structure and just the narrative of, soccer culture in the u.s until that changes which it's not gonna because of how valued education is and again i'm not shitting on education shit i went to college too but i'm just saying how until that changes there's not going to be many changes for u.s soccer yeah that's that's the thing that's the biggest problem and uh you said it perfectly a 22 year old turns pro in the mls well guess what there's this french kid named Kylian Mbappe, he was 19 years old, and he won a World Cup scoring a goal in the World Cup final. Right. Good luck trying to play against that guy. You're not going to run as fast as him. You're not going to have the same abilities. You're not going to be as smart as he is. Good luck, because it's not going to happen. You're not going to be at that level, especially at 22. Your body's older. I'm not saying that you know your body should be completely torn up, but... Yeah, 19 and 22 is a very big difference. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. All right, Alex, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for the work that you do. Give the people uh, give the people a plug where they can find you. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Uh, 
you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Alex Perez FC. Of course, support uh, the Veterans Minimum, this Veterans Minimum project that uh, has had a bit of a change, but change isn't always bad. So uh, we're, we're doing our best here with uh, covering NFL and uh, not NBA right now because there's, there's no basketball, but we're going to try to talk some soccer a little bit more, of course, at Veterans Minimum Show on Instagram and at Veterans Minimum on Twitter. Do we have a Facebook page? I should probably know this. We do. There actually is a Facebook page up and running right now. So, yeah, uh, I got to start. I got to put that in the list of things that people should go follow. All right, man, for sure. I appreciate you having me here. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.